0: Hey, Woodside family, Pastor Chris here, and a special welcome to all of our friends who follow us here on The Link. This is a special Monday edition of The Link. I know you're used to us broadcasting on Tuesdays, but this is a very special week. It's election week. We've been praying, we've been uh, trying to do our research, and hopefully you've been uh, planning on your vote. And if you have not already voted, like tens of millions of Americans already have, Uh, Tomorrow is a really, really important day because you're going to cast your ballot. And we thought it would be really important to talk about that act as an act of worship before the Lord and to give you some guidance on how we can honor Christ as we fulfill our duties and responsibilities as citizens of this great nation. I do want to say another word that uh, even if you have already voted, tomorrow should be a day of prayer for you, for all of us as we lift up our nation before the Lord. Uh, May God's hand of grace be upon us. We're going to have a conversation today about how we navigate uh, through earthly politics as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And I've invited some great friends with me, as always. uh, To my right is Pastor Ryan Russell. He is our campus pastor at our Pontiac campus. So grateful for you, Ryan. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here again. Again, that's right. You're not a stranger to the link. Also, to his right is James Muffet, and James is a really good friend. He oversees a couple of uh, organizations, uh, Student Statesmanship Institute, where you train young people in the area of worldview across a number of different critical categories, such as law, politics, government, media. Also, uh, citizens for traditional values, another organization that you have started. And uh, you're doing a great work, brother. And I'm always grateful to talk to you about politics. Thanks for joining us James.
1: My pleasure. Can't believe you talk about
0: politics and religion together. That's just crazy. There we go. Living (laughs) on the edge. And then Pastor John Morales, lead pastor for us at our Rollo campus. Also the author of a couple of books and we're really excited about how God is using you brother to really train up the hearts of believers to follow God's word and to apply it holistically, holistically to their lives. So Appreciate you, John. Thanks for joining. Great to be here. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about today, so let's just dive right in. John, you recently wrote a, b- a blog, and I love um, the opening line of that blog, that the gospel is extremely political, just uh, not in the way that you think. What do you mean by the fact that the gospel is extremely political?
2: Yeah, the, the balance of power in heaven will not shift one iota to the right or to the left, based on what happens on November 3rd. I think that for many Christians, when it comes to our political thinking, we can have some misconceptions. Right on the one hand, we can over-spiritualize the faith, which is that we believe that the Bible speaks to the salvation of the soul, but doesn't really address life in the here and now, specifically as it refers or relates to our public life or civic engagement. On the other side of that error, I believe, is that we politically weaponize the faith. And so we believe that the church is a city on a hill, and America is a city on a hill, and those two should come together to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so as people lean perhaps more on one side than the other, but I do believe that those, are, uh, those two positions are misguided. I think that scripture calls us to faithful engagement. And so what I mean by the church being, uh, and the gospel being utterly political, is that we answer to a king who claims all authority in heaven and on earth, who promises that he will restore all things, that he will bring full renewal to the entire cosmos, to the entire creation, and so, uh, so that is the, the the message that we read about in scripture. And yet, the reason the church does not go in the direction that some religions go in, which is seeking political and military power, is because of the kind of power that the church has which comes from the king's death right Jesus Christ's death on the cross and the way that that power is spread throughout the world is through the king's word so it's the king's death and the king's word now Christians have always called Jesus king king of kings lord of lords which means that he has a kingdom and what that means is that he by his life death and resurrection he has uh, brought God's plan to to reclaim the creation um, through his life, death, and resurrection, and defeat uh, death, sin, Satan, and evil. And so where that leaves us then is what's our role, given that that's the kind of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom that we're a part of. And where that leaves us is that we are, Paul tells us, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. So we represent our king and his ways. So we represent his love, his forgiveness, his wisdom, his power. We represent the lack of malice and envy and deceit in his ways, Uh, but that takes so much more for us to have that faithful engagement. It goes far beyond uh, a vote. And it's so much more personal, more complicated, and more messy.
0: Yeah, so when I listen to you, it causes me to really amplify what it means to be a disciple, what it means to have faithful presence in my community, with my neighbors, what it means to reflect the fruit of the Spirit, to let the grace of the, whole, of, of the Lord to work through me through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But I guess my question for you, James, is that a lot of people have grown pretty cynical concerning the political process, the political climate here. And so I agree with John's uh, thought that it, being faithful is more than just to vote, but why vote? Why even engage at all in this world's politics? Why not just simply resign ourselves to say, I'm going to pray for my neighbor, I'm gonna love them, I wanna bear witness evangelistically uh, to as many people as I can, I'm gonna make sure that I'm faithfully engaged in the covenant community of my local church, why vote? Yeah, that's a good
1: question. And there are Christians historically who have said, I'm not going to because of those very reasons that, you know, the kingdom of God is our goal. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and so therefore that's what matters. And so my job is to get as many people to heaven as, pos- as I can. And then the world is gonna burn so you don't polish brass on a sinking ship. You don't rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, which is how they see politics. Um, and so all of those things are misguided. For me, it's a simple matter of understanding what he, Jesus meant when he told us to pray, thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that's a spiritual thing. We know that he is the king. It is his kingdom. We are his subjects. The church is the embassy of heaven in the world. And that word "politeuma," the citizen, means culture. And it also means politics. It also means conversation, the King James says. And so we're supposed to be citizens of that kingdom, living in an embassy in a foreign land. And we're supposed to bring the influence of that kingdom in our lives, in our neighbors, in our, and then I believe it says, thy kingdom come on earth, which means my city, my state, my nation, and my world. So for me, if I want my friends and my citizens to have the good life, part of the way that happens is through how we arrange ourselves and organize ourselves as human beings in government, which means to me, it's not the kingdom of God. It's not the answer to human problems. It's not the way that we're going to solve the deepest issues in the human condition. But it is a stewardship and I'm a part of that in this country because I get to vote and I get to choose the ones who are going to make those decisions. They're going to govern my life and my friend's life and my church and my city. So for me, it's not a matter of trying to use it as a kingdom of God advancement. It's a matter of being a steward of the earth and politics is a part of that stewardship. And. Um,
0: I love what you're saying. You know, let me just say this too, though. As I listen to you, James, it causes me to think of the requirement, the commandment we have to love our neighbors. Yes. Right? And when I think about ways that I can love my neighbor, then uh, I begin to think very broadly about several things the Lord has given. Business is a way of loving my neighbor. If I do faithful business and commerce in my community, it's a way of loving my neighbor, hospitality, hospitality. Is a way of loving my neighbor. But one of the things that radically has helped me see uh, my political engagement from a different perspective is it's not just about selfishness. Correct. It's not just about what's best for Chris Brooks, but how can I use this one vote that I get periodically to love my neighbor and uh, and to maybe um, help to either pick candidates or proposals that can help them, as you said, to experience a life of flourishing. You know, Ryan, you recently wrote a blog as well that in previous years wouldn't have been controversial. But in this year, it, it, it is kind of like surprisingly controversial. The whole thought of loving someone deeply who has a different political view than yours, right? So many of them will say (laughs) ananthema, you know, (laughs) excommunicate them. You know, I've heard people talk about individuals who they go to church with, who have different political views as Christians in scare quotes. Like there's no way they could be a Christian Mm -hmm. and vote for that candidate or this candidate. And I've heard it from both sides of the quote unquote aisle. Mm -hmm. So how do we, Ryan, uh, and why should we love our neighbors deeply who have radically different political views than us? First, because we've been loved radically
3: and deeply from someone who is utterly different than us, right? So we have to understand that. If we're gonna love someone else, we have to understand how we've been loved. And I agree with what my brothers have said, right? That uh, this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is much bigger than what we have right here. So we have to keep our eyes fixed on that and to understand that for whatever sojourning amount of time I have here, that I, I'm called to show the gospel to people if I've been deeply impacted by the gospel. So, you know, in, in the in the blog that I wrote, I, you know, I talked about uh, when Scott Sauls came and talked to us here yeah. at Woodside, and, and you know, he said that, that our worldview, a uh, part of our voting view should be that we are comprehensively pro-life yes. as the Christian. So that's pro-life from conception to death. Yes. And, and when we look at things like that, then we, we see that pro-life is not a, a term to be politicized. Pro-life is not something that ends up at birth, yes. right? That we are called to love our neighbors and to love our brothers and sisters and to love the world and be Christ's witness in the world to anybody and everybody who's drawing breath, right? Even, especially if they have differing opinions than us because I had a very different opinion of Jesus and holiness before I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Like, I was following the way of the devil. I was following the, the prince of the power of the air. So he loved me when my views were starkly different right. than his views of holiness. Yeah. So it's my responsibility, having been loved like that, to show that love, especially when people uh, are, are carrying different views. And, you know, we, there's all kinds of little quotes and cachets and that we could pull out, but we know that a soft answer turns away wrath, right? So when the heat gets turned up in these conversations, I actually begin to revel in it. I like it. <laughs> because we're, you know, we're able to just listen and say, okay, tell me why you feel like this. Because if my heart is to win an argument, I've already lost, right? But if my heart is to try to win a person to the Lord, uh, then, then that's how I think we win. Because that's the team that Jesus is on
0: as well, winning wow. people to himself. Wow, that, that's um, man, that's awesome. And so if I'm understanding you guys right, uh, the, the, uh, the politics of the kingdom Right, are established in the gospel, very clearly laid out, Christ is king, we're citizens of that kingdom. As we are striving to live as faithful citizens of that kingdom in this world, part of our stewardship is being able to vote, a way of expressing love for neighbor, right? But also as we traverse this world and encounter people of different worldviews, we gotta remember how bad our kingdom politics were before Christ redeemed us, and if he loved us when our political view towards his lordship was uh, totally opposed to the gospel, then who are we not to love our neighbors uh, deeply well who have different views than us? And there is a spiritual side of this, John. I think about when we encounter people of different political worldviews, oftentimes we see them as being willfully um, evil in their view, no matter what side of the issues we're on, instead of seeing them, as the Bible describes, often as blinded by the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Talk about the spiritual side of this as it pertains to political engagement. And our interactions with others.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, when when I talked about having a faithful engagement, right, with with the world uh, as ambassadors of Christ, I think that calls us to be to be fully immersed, both in the life of the church as well as engaged with the world. And so, yes, yeah, so if we talk so, talk about some of the issues that, that are hot today and politically uh, charged, you know, whether it's the poor, taxes. Uh, race relations, immigration. So let's talk about those. So uh, let's talk about the poor and people in need. We have a beloved member in our church family, a widow, and she needed a ramp on the outside of her house going to the front for her son-in-law, who's been paralyzed for many years. And so we became aware of that. And a number of people in the church came together to Uh, raise the money, design the ramp, and build it. And so, but you see what's happening there is that now helping someone in need is no longer merely theoretical or political. Now it has a face, now it has a name, and it requires more than our vote. It requires, of course, we need to vote, but it has to go beyond that to compassion, to love, to money, uh, or take the issue of taxes. We know that the financial situation is bleak for millions of Americans. And so I love what one of our members has been doing for a number of years through Financial Peace University. They've been doing courses to help people uh, get a handle on their debt and better yet, get rid of it. And so that has the the potential of changing the trajectory for so many families as it relates to how they relate to money. Or when you talk about uh, race relations, we have um, a couple in our church family that runs a program for youth at risk in Detroit. You know, it's called Shiloh, Detroit, and they go deep with the people there. A number of people in the congregation come and help volunteer there. But it's just amazing what they're doing because their involvement goes really deep with these young people. And it's, uh, and it's amazing for them to be able to have these role models, these mother and father figures, these brothers and sisters in Christ who are teaching them the gospel but also teaching them how to be responsible citizens. And so this has, again, the potential of changing how some black people see white people, how some white people see black people, even generationally. And then when we talk about immigration, um, just four weeks ago, there was a couple in our congregation who the Lord put it on their heart to buy a car for this single mother of two who is from a different country, who's been subject to much abuse and hardship. She had wow. only a bicycle to get, even in the winter, her children from school. And so the 30 people came together, they bought this car. But wow. I mean, we could go issue after issue after issue, but I think we get the point, right? Yeah. That it's only under the grace of the rightful king of the universe that we learn to correct oppression. And correct oppression, we must. But as, we, as we're proclaiming the gospel, as we're getting our hands dirty in the lives of many people, that's how God transforms us first so we can do all the things we've been talking about. And our witness as ambassadors of Christ becomes uh, much, much, much brighter. But it takes deep immersion in the life of the church and faithful engagement with the world.
0: Yeah, I love it. You know, earlier this year, I wrote a blog where I talked about the church has to be able to move from lament to leadership. I think that your examples really are great examples of going beyond just bemoaning the problem. And I think that our culture right now, we're so emphasized on what the problem is, not politics, but anti-politics. We can point out pretty clearly where brokenness is happening, but what I hear and I love the examples is that the local church can be a place where oppression is fixed as people respond in leadership on a very local level to the needs of their neighbors and their friends around them. You know, James, um, I wanna talk about family for just a moment because uh, our kids have watched this and I'm gonna be totally transparent. I did not watch the first presidential debate and the reason why I did not watch the first presidential debate is because my boys were right next to me, Cameron 10, Judah 6, and I didn't want them to see that example. I just felt like this is not the character or the type of social interaction that I want to develop and cultivate within them. I'll watch it later after I put them to bed and I was able to, Uh, but in that moment, there was a sadness in my heart. Our kids are watching uh, the vitriol that's a part of the political moment, Uh, the trillions of dollars now that are spent, oftentimes for this kind of scorched earth approach. Um, How do we talk to them about all of this, both the positives and the pain points uh, in helping them to navigate through it?
1: Yeah, that's probably the the million-dollar question, and and I didn't watch the debate either. Um, (laughs) I haven't watched debates in many years. I I pay attention to what politicians do rather than listen to what they say because that helps me calibrate Uh, myself a little better, (laughs) and then I don't throw things at the TV, So uh, (laughs) because I get angry and upset just like everybody else does, you know, Um, and part of the the, is to do that, but when it comes to trans uh, uh, training kids, the the key thing is not what we teach them in teaching, the key thing is what we model in front of them, Um, and so for instance, I'm heavily involved in politics, and I have been for 30 years, I have convictions that are deep, you know. I have principles that I will not give up on. And I have people in my own church and even in my own family who share completely different and opposite views. Even their presuppositions are different. We're not even talking the same language when we bring the discussion up. Okay, so we're talking about loving our neighbor, right? Um, one of my, my pastor recently said that, you know, loving God, the barometer of loving God is how well you love your neighbor. And he said the barometer of how well you love your neighbor is how well you love your enemies. (laughs) So that's the true barometer. So I have to ask myself, how do I love my enemies? I'm actually required to love my enemies. That's a political enemy. That's a financial enemy, that's a relational enemy. It doesn't matter. I don't think there's any qualifications. So I have a lot of political enemies, people that see themselves on a different side of the equation than I do. And so how do I relate to them? So what I teach through my program is I teach uh, what the scripture says to Christians living in persecution, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That is the commandment for the Christian who engages in this kind of world that we live in that is full of sin, anger, animosity, hatred. We're not allowed the luxury of bringing that into our political engagement or any other engagement. We don't have that luxury. We're embassies. We're in the embassy of heaven. We're ambassadors for Christ. We have a higher calling. So I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I have to engage the world, but I can't do it the world's way. I can't sink to the level. There's an old political joke that says, if you fight with a pig, two things happen. Number one, the pig loves it. And number two, you get dirty. And you know, you don't... <laughs> you, 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 we can't go there. We, yeah. we are, we are, he is seated far above all rule and power and principalities and power. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Thy kingdom comes. So that means in me, I have to have an attitudinal awareness of that person who is my enemy, Created in the image of God with dignity and worth and I owe respect to them even if I deeply disagree with them And I can tell you that may be the hardest thing in the world to do
0: Yeah, well, I will simply say this that just as John blessed us with these examples from his local church We're gonna need to see that modeled we're gonna need to I think our kids are gonna need to be able to see models of where that's happening where people are loving one another deeply while, it, while at the same time being able to say, we disagree, we definitely disagree on, these, on certain of these issues, but that does not mean I can't pray for you, I can't show compassion to you, I can't care deeply for your serve family. Serve you, love you, whatever you. it takes, um, yeah. Because clearly that's what Christ did for us.
1: Well, while we were still enemies... Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we were his yeah, enemy, yeah. and he loved
1: us. So I mean, that's yeah. the example.
0: We had terrible politics, and he <laughs> saved us. Uh, yeah. Let's let's, let's uh, I want to pray, and this is going to be uh, a different type of link. We've we've had a great conversation. We're going to pray in just a moment, but before we do that, Pastor Ryan, um, I want you to kind of talk about uh, the day after the election. Sure. All right. Tomorrow, a lot of people are going to go to the polls. Hopefully, we'll know who won. relatively quickly, uh, but maybe not. Um, There may be a long road to that. But when Wednesday, November 4th comes, you wake up in the morning. What's your focus and what do you uh, encourage uh, believers to have as their focus when they wake up in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. Wednesday, November 4th, I already know who won, right?
3: Jesus won. Okay. He, he is the victor, right? All the time. So, yeah. so having that mindset, regardless of the outcome of, of the election tomorrow night, right? Like yes. that mindset has to be the first thing on the forefront of our mind and you know I've heard all kinds of people say I you know I can't wait until this over is over so things can get back to normal and I'm thinking like in my heart like I I pray they don't get back to normal like this is a wake-up call for us like this has been a season that hopefully has touched our hearts so deeply and 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 touched our minds so deeply that we have to understand like clearly the way we're doing it isn't working right so there's there needs to be some change in our hearts so you know uh, uh, on on that Wednesday morning when we wake up and I, I pray that that we would Look at what has happened, what has transpired, and know. And may our goal be ever clearer, right? May our drive or our resolve be ever stronger, to, to bring Christ's kingdom here and to bring those kingdom ethics here. You know, in in the blog that I wrote, we talked about issues and values, and and value is so important, right? And and in, not in the way that we talk about values that we vote on, but but the value of humanity. You know, James has mentioned you know dignity and honor to the image of God, but my purchase price dictates my value, right? And I've been purchased with the most valuable thing that the galaxy has ever known, that any galaxy will ever know. And if you're my brother in Christ, so have you. So I have to esteem that value on you, not based on whether you won or lost the election based on your vote or uh, what yard sign is in your yard from the blog that you wrote. You know, none of that stuff dictates your value that you have been made in the image of God. So every human is valuable. And if you are, are in our family, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, put all your faith, hope, and trust in Him. Your purchase price dictates your value. And I would not try to do anything to demean that value. So when we wake up on Wednesday morning, that's, that's gotta be on the forefront of our mind, just like it should be today, tomorrow, the next day, for what, however many more days we have here on our sojourn, right, that, that value is so
0: important and God's the one who dictates that value. You know, Throughout this year, uh, one of the statements that I've said again and again to our church family through the pandemic and all of the other issues of 2020 is that the gospel never stops. Right. And I pray that that will be our heart. Uh, man, I appreciate you so much. And I, I just wanna read a familiar passage from uh, Proverbs 14:34, And it simply reminds us of this, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As we talk about the uh, confidence we have in Christ, it doesn't mean that we are dispassionate about what's happening here in the world because we do understand that ideas have consequences. As my good friend John Stone Street says, bad ideas have victims. And so we understand the cost of uh, these, uh, these issues and policies. And so let's pray. Uh, one of the things that we should not forget about is the importance of local government as well, far more immediate in impact on our lives our, our local laws, ordinances, and elected officials. And so we need to pray for that. Ryan, can you do that? Absolutely. And then we need to pray for um, our state leaders. I know you work uh, very hard uh, to make sure that we have uh, great leaders for our local state. I know you carry Michigan in your heart. And so uh, James, can you pray for our state? I will. And then uh, John, uh, I would love for you to pray for our, our nation. Can you do that? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Father, we thank you
3: today. Thank you for the opportunity to have a discussion. And thank you that you willingly receive us now as broken and in desperate need of grace. So in the name of Jesus, we pray for all of our local officials. God, for everybody who is uh, running or or watching in a local election, I pray that they would understand the call that they have on their life as people who are in authority, knowing that, God, you have put that call on their life and they are going to uh, answer one day for how they handled that authority uh, by your kingdom ethics, not by the ethics of Pontiac or Royal Oak or Troy, but by your kingdom ethics. So God, I pray for uh, local government. I pray for every city, city council person Uh, our county commissioners, uh, mayors, library board trustees, they're being elected. And I pray that they would understand authority appropriately. And I pray for the church right now, that the church would be strengthened in local government, that our voice ought to implicitly impact everything that is said and done, because our light should shine so brightly amongst men and women, that our conduct should be so honorable amongst men and women. So I pray that the church would be strengthened locally, and that local governing officials uh, would fight to preserve the rights that we have in our local municipalities uh, and that they would advocate uh, as we uh, reside under state government as well. We love you, Jesus. I thank you. And thank you, God, um, that you told us to pray, thy
1: kingdom come, thy will be done. Your government, your rule, your purpose, your will. We pray that, God, for this state, this Michigan that we live in, God, this 10 million people who live, 10 million human beings that you died for, Lord, and there are so many things being decided, even next uh, tomorrow or even right now, God, about who's going to sit in the seats of 110 House seats uh, for the Michigan legislature. Lord, who's, who's going to be uh, in our Supreme Court? Father, who's going to serve on our State Board of Education? Lord, who's going to serve on our university boards? Lord, these decisions are being made as people go to the polls, and your Word tells us, Lord, that you're the one who raises up one and puts down another, that, Lord, uh, even that the heart of the king is in your hands and you you direct it in the way that you want. So we do pray that righteousness would uh, enter our halls of government for this state, that uh, justice and truth would roll down like waters, Lord, and that people would be elevated to positions of authority who would glorify you, who would honor you, Lord, who would, would lift you up, would model kingdom, not just policy, but kingdom character, Lord. We pray, Father, for every person who lives in this state that you would give them a life that flourishes, a government that works, that serves, and does what your calling for this government would be, Lord. We bring the whole state of Michigan before you. We lay it on the altar, God. We ask, God, would you be sovereign, Lord, over these elections and over our leaders in Jesus'
2: name? Yes, Lord. What an honor it is for us to live in this land. To, to be able to have a say in uh, the process of democracy. What an incredible privilege for us, Lord. So many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world do not have this privilege. So, Lord, let us be good stewards. Let us know that we will answer to you for our vote as for everything else that we do, God. And Father, we do pray for, for the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our government. Father, we pray for wisdom. They need wisdom. They need character, God. They need to take their their role so seriously. And so, Father, I pray for your protection over them. I pray, Father, for us, that we would be praying for our government officials as you command us to. I pray that we would honor everyone Love the brotherhood. Fear you, God. Honor the emperor, which in our case is the president. Father, I pray that in our case, for us as Christians, that there would be no talk of not my president. We are one nation. And we ask you for unity, God. We're going to need so much of your blessing, of your protection that we may have peace in the days ahead. We
0: pray this in Christ's name. Brothers, I am so encouraged by you guys. I love being able to gather together, to talk with you, to learn. Obviously, this just scratched the surface. I would encourage folks, if you have not read uh, Pastor John's blog, please do so uh, about the uh, politics of the gospel. And if, if you've not read Pastor Ryan's blog, on learning to love our neighbors, even who have different political views than us, you need it. And if you have not yet done your research on SSI, if you're a parent like me, you need to do that. And CTV is here to help you as well. You can find out more all in the postscript for this particular episode of The Link. We'll re-air this tomorrow. And uh, as we leave you, we encourage you, gather your family together, bow the knee before the King of Kings, acknowledge His Lordship, over your home, over your family, over our country and over the earth, and then pray. Uh, Pray that his kingdom would advance uh, in your neighborhood and through your family. Listen, thanks for being with us. Can't wait to see you on the next edition of The Link.